1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I realize that once again we are upside down. I should be preaching from Joshua tonight in 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings. But today we've switched things around because I thought that the subject matter for uh, the Joshua sermon was better suited for a Sunday morning service than for the Sunday night. And this one that I'm going to speak on this evening is more suited for the crowd that I think we have here. And uh, next week we'll switch things back around, get in the right order that we're supposed to be in. But I decided that I would uh, preach this particular message tonight because when you're teaching the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, you have to take it as it comes. And so you have to deal with the subjects that are here and uh, we don't really want to skip over anything in the Bible because all of it's important. And maybe the reason that there's trouble in the area that we're going to talk about tonight is because you probably have never heard a sermon on this subject before. I doubt... Very seriously. I can't remember when I heard a sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, these first few verses. And actually what this deals with is lawsuits between believers. Now, isn't that an odd thing to talk about? Lawsuits between believers. But that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and these first, first uh, eight verses are talking about. So that's what we're going to speak about this evening. In fact, there are, there are millions of dollars that are spent on lawsuits in the United States every year. Last year, there were 30 million lawsuits that were filed. That's a rate of 82,000 lawsuits per day were filed in the United States last year. There are 950,000 lawyers in the United States, and there are 130,000 student wannabe lawyers in the United States. Some have called this society in which we live the most litigious society ever. Well, if we were to consider, by taking a very conservative estimate, that some of those lawsuits that were filed last year were between Christians, Christians to Christians suing each other in secular courts, if we took a very conservative estimate, and let's say that just 10%, now I don't know of any particular statistic that tells us this, but let's just say that there are 10% of the lawsuits that were filed last year that were between believers, then that would mean there would be as many as 3 million lawsuits filed between believers last year. I think that's probably a conservative number. There may be many more than that. And if you take the amount of money that was used to file these lawsuits, and that money could be channeled towards the work of the Lord, towards reaching other people with the gospel of Christ, and taking the gospel around the world, then I think we could see how much further we would be in our quest to see the world come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But Christians today uh, don't heed the advice of the Apostle Paul in the subject that we're going to talk about tonight. And so he uses some very strong language as he deals with this subject. But I want you to be aware that we're not just talking about lawsuits between believers here. Because this is going to involve a much larger principle, and that's how Christians are to interact with one another, how we're to live in the same society, and how we are to be governed by the laws of God. So let's talk about this this evening. If you'll take your Bible and stand, please, and we'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're reading uh, the first eight verses here. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? 
If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man, or is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. And though we're dealing with a very odd subject and strange subject, it might seem for, for us to be talking about. We know, Lord, that you have a purpose for everything that you've written in the word. There's something that we can learn here. We just ask you, Lord, to apply, to apply your word to our hearts that we might know something more about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I said tonight, we're not just talking about lawsuits, but we are talking about a larger principle about how Christian people are to live in a Christian community and how we're to interact with one another. Now, to highlight the problem that Paul speaks about in this chapter, there are examples where uh, believers have gone to secular courts in order to force some kind of a settlement of an issue or dispute that's between two believers. I can think of one case that I read about that happened uh, actually in the Southern Baptist Convention. There was a, a, a couple, a Baptist couple, that decided that they didn't like the parliament, parliamentary procedures that took place during the, the Southern Baptist Convention national meeting. They didn't like what was going on, and so they decided they were going to file a lawsuit against the Southern Baptist Convention. And when they filed the suit, it cost the Southern Baptist $400,000 to defend this suit. Well, the lawsuit uh, by these Christian people was because they didn't like what was going on. And the way that the Southern Baptists had to pay for this was they had to take money out of their cooperative program. Now, you may not understand what all that's about, but if you have a Southern Baptist background, maybe you know that the Southern Baptists uh, have a program called the Cooperative Program, and all the churches that are members of the Southern Baptist Convention, if they so choose, they can contribute to the Cooperative Program, and then that's the agency that that sends out missionaries, it uh, does benevolent works, it supports all the different schools that they have, and so that's one of the things that they use the money for. So these Southern Baptists, in order to defend this lawsuit, they had to take the money out of their Cooperative Program. Now, we may not agree with the Southern Baptists in the way that they fund things, and we may not agree with conventionism in general, which I don't, but it is a shame that people would take their money that they intend to give to missionaries, to do other kinds of benevolent works, and they would have to defend a lawsuit against two people who also claimed that they were believers. Well, what happened when they took this case to court was that the court decided that they didn't have any jurisdiction here. I mean, this is an ecclesiastical matter, and so they, the, the secular courts did not have a right to impose any kind of penalties upon the Southern Baptist Convention. And, of course, I think we would all, all agree that that is right. So the, the government cannot uh, interfere in ecclesiastical affairs. Well, this is the very thing that Paul is addressing in this part of the chapter. Paul was also living in a very litigious society. In fact, in one of the Greek plays at the time that the Apostle Paul uh, was living, there was a playwright who had one of his characters point to a map, and this character was asked to point out which was the country of Greece. And when he pointed out which one was Greece, 
uh, another character said, well, that can't be Greece because I don't see any lawsuits that are going on. And that's how bad that it was in his society, much like it is in America today. So Paul's argument here is that these Corinthians have a problem because they're taking their disputes that they have between other Christians, they're taking those before public juries. And Paul is saying that this is not right, that you are airing out all the the problems that are in the church, you're airing out all the difficulties before the world, and you're putting these things out for people who are not Christians to decide these matters. And so what Paul is saying saying here is that your testimony is hurting the church. And you can imagine what that was like in Corinth, as wicked as that city was, to have these Christians that were taking these disputes that were going on in the church, taking them before unbelievers. And Paul says that that is a damaging testimony to the gospel of Christ. Of course, we don't have the legal system that Paul did, but there are some principles that we can use by what Paul says here, and we can apply them to things that we're doing today. And this is always the way it should be. Christians should always take the Word of God and apply the principles of God's Word to everything that we do, and certainly we ought to do it in the area of disputes. So we're going to look here tonight at how Paul addresses the problem. Now, first of all, we see here the rebuke against unbelievers. Now, it's very interesting the way that Paul starts out in verse number one, because the expression that he gives here is really one of shock and disbelief. Paul can't believe that after all of these other problems that's going on in this church, that here he is, he has to address this problem also. And so in shock and in disbelief, he says to the Corinthians, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? And what was happening here in Corinth is that this church was in such bad shape, they had become so immoral that they were acting just like the heathen culture that was around them. And so it was difficult to tell these people apart from all these pagan neighbors that they were associating with. There were so many disputes that were going on. There was so much bickering in the church. People were taking advantage of one another, and they were doing it in business dealings and all different kinds of financial matters. Now, if you've been a Christian for very long, maybe you've seen something like this take place between Christians. I have. I've seen Christians who will take advantage of other Christians simply because they know they can be taken advantage of. Remember when I was living in Kentucky, there was a man who was a home builder, and he specialized in building houses for Christian people. Now, he was a Christian himself, and so as he was building these houses, the, the people trusted him. They thought that he would do a good job. He would give them a fair price, and it was worth it to them to seek out this one particular man and to buy a house from him. Well, what they were actually getting was many times a much inferior house, and they were paying way too much money for what they got. And so here was a man, under the guise of being a Christian, he's taking advantage of other Christians. And I've seen this become so bad that I've actually had to advise people in church not to do business with people who are in the church. That you'd be better off just dealing with somebody else than to cause a problem by dealing with another Christian in a business matter. And that is a sad state of affairs. When we, when we are, 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 are so wrapped up in what we want and the things that we do and, and fooling people and lying to people that even Christians would do something like this. We ought to be able to do business with Christian people in the church, but sometimes we have to advise against it. But here Paul has a rebuke for these believers and he tells them that he's ashamed of them. Now I want you to notice here 
that what Paul doesn't say in this scripture is almost as important as the things that he does say. Now, one thing we notice here that he does not say, he does not say that it's wrong to use the legal system. He's not saying that it's definitely wrong at no time should a Christian use the legal system. Now, what he's dealing with here is Christian to Christian and not Christian towards unbelievers or or unbelievers uh, against another unbeliever. So he's talking about believers here. So that means if there's someone who's not a Christian who has harmed you, or there is a company, for instance, that has harmed you or done something wrong, then it wouldn't be wrong to take that, take that company or to take that person to court and to seek the proper legal recourse. You know, sometimes as Christians, we get the idea that Christians are supposed to be meek and lowly, and it doesn't matter what anybody does to us, we're supposed to let people run over us just because they can. Well, I don't think the Bible really teaches that. There are times when, when people try to take advantage of you. We see it in the business world all the time. There are all kinds of scams that are out there. And if someone tries to do that to you, and that person is not a Christian, then the Bible does not teach that it's wrong to take that matter before a secular court. It is if it's a Christian, but not if it's a non-Christian. So if people aren't Christians, it's all right to use any legal means that are necessary to take care of a problem. And sometimes I even think that it's better if you did do that Because if there's somebody out there scamming someone, if you can help stop that, that's something that you ought to do. So it's not wrong to use the legal system in that way. And we find that Paul, in fact, used the legal system to his advantage when necessary. If you look in Acts chapter 22, you remember we have a story there, and I made allusion to it in uh, the Sunday morning sermon last week, that Paul was uh, about to be beaten with whips by the Romans. And uh, Paul had been accused of taking a temple into the Gentile, falsely accused. And the Jews that were there in Jerusalem, uh, they were so angry at Paul that they were ready to tear him limb from limb. And so Paul got up to give a defense before them. And he told about how that he'd been saved on the road to Damascus. He talked about that light that had shone shone around him. And he also talked about how God had called him to preach to the Gentiles. And if you remember, when Paul mentioned Gentiles... Those Jews became so incensed that that a riot almost ensued. So they tried to get at Paul. Well, there was a Roman garrison that was right next to the temple court. They heard all the commotion that was going on. And so they rushed over there to try to save Paul from this mob. But when they got there, they just made the assumption that Paul must be the one at fault. And so they were ready to beat a confession out of him. What they didn't realize was that Paul was a Roman citizen. And so when they were about ready to beat him... Paul looked up at one of these Romans that was about to hit him with the whip. And here's what he said in Acts 22. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. So what that guard knew that as a Roman, Paul could not be taken and beaten or anything done to him without due process. And it was an egregious offense for them to take a Roman and discourage him without him first being tried and convicted of a crime. And this soldier knew that if they did this, that it was so serious that they could take that soldier and they could beat him or even put him to death. So here's a case where Paul used the law to his advantage. And we notice that throughout this story that Paul uh, went before Roman courts. He appeared before Felix and before Festus. 
And finally, Paul did appeal his case to Caesar. So Paul is not saying here, don't use the legal system. It's wrong for Christians at all times to use the legal system. He's talking about Christian against Christian. Then there's also something else that he didn't say. He didn't say that unbelievers are unfair. And so he's not saying that it's impossible for unbelievers to judge rightly in civil and criminal law. Now, we all know that there are a lot of problems that arise, uh, you know, in the United States. All these lawsuits that are filed, some of them are legitimate, and we have the best legal system in the world. Uh, I think that's true, and I think most people believe it's true. The legal system in general is good in the United States. Now, people don't say as much about lawyers. They're not too thrilled with the lawyers. Uh, Clarissa notwithstanding, she's an attorney. But it's amazing that there is so much contempt for lawyers in this country. Here's something that I read recently. The National Institute of Health announced that they will no longer be using rats for medical experimentation. In their place, they will use attorneys. They gave three reasons for this decision. Number one, there are now more attorneys than there are rats. Number two, the medical researchers do not become as emotionally attached to the attorneys as they did to the rats. And number three, no matter how hard you try, there are some things that rats just won't do. Well, sometimes we do know that there's corruption in the legal system, but by and large in the United States, we do have a fair legal system. And if we didn't, those millions of lawsuits that were filed every year would cause our country to end up in chaos. So Paul's not saying here, don't use the legal system. The legal system is corrupt. It's impossible for you to get any kind of a fair hearing before unbelievers. Well, unfortunately, there are some issues that Christians do have to settle in court, and you can't avoid it. There aren't a lot of them, but one of them is the issue of divorce. See, divorce is, or marriages are, are not only a law that's ordained by God, but it's also a civil law. And the only ones who can, can legally dissolve a marriage is a secular court. And so, if you're going to have a divorce, you have to go to a secular court. But we all know this, that before you could ever get a divorce, there are some serious questions involved for a Christian because Christians aren't supposed to get divorces. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a sermon a little bit later as Paul talks on the subject of marriage. But let's go on here next, and we're going to talk about next the, the reasons not to sue a brother. And there's one huge glaring reason why you shouldn't deal with a brother, with another Christian, in a secular court of law, and that's because... When you do that, you've already lost. No matter if you win, you've already lost. Well, what are some of the things that you lose as a Christian? Number one, you lose your position of honor. What you're doing is that you're actually lowering lowering yourself down to the level of the world. See, as a child of God, you live on a different plane than the world. And if we look at verse number two... Paul says, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And so Paul says, the saints will judge the world. And we all know that when he says saints here, he's not talking about someone that the Roman Catholic Church has canonized and they've called them the patron saint of cats and dogs or something. He's not talking about that. He means Christians. He means anybody who's saved. Remember, we've talked about how there are only two types of people in the world. There are saints and there are ain'ts. 
And if you ain't a saint, you're an ain't. So you're a saint or you're an ain't. And, and if you're a Christian, you're a saint. And as Christians, we are going to rule with Christ and we're going to judge the world. The time that we're going to judge the world is during the millennial reign of Christ. Revelation 20 verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. In verse number 3 of this text, Paul says that we will judge angels. And one of the things the Bible says is that when man was created, he was created a little bit lower than the angels. And that's why we read that when Christ came to this earth, he had to be made himself lower than the angels. But now, once we are in Christ and we've been saved by Christ, we're elevated to a position that's higher than the angels. And I believe that the Bible teaches us that we are going to, we are going to rule the elect angels of God and we're going to judge all of these fallen angels. So what Paul is saying here is that if you will judge the world, if you're going to judge the world, and if you're going to judge angels, then why would you step down to the level of a lost man? Why would you go to to their judgment? Why would you need their judgment? When these are people that have no spiritual discernment whatsoever, they have no access to the mind of Christ, so why do you step down to their level? So you're actually going downward as a Christian whenever you go to a secular court. What else would you lose? Well, secondly, you lose your source of authority. A Christian who goes to court against another Christian sets aside the authority of the Holy Scriptures. And what you decide that you're going to do is you're going to be judged by the imperfections of man's law. So when you go to a secular court, you lay aside the Bible. Now, you might go into a courtroom and you swear on the Bible. You might take an oath on the Bible. But if you turn to the judge and you say, you know something, judge? I would like you to judge me by biblical principles. We're going to use the Word of God in the courtroom today, and we're going to decide things by the Word of God. What do you think the judge is going to say? He'll say, take a hike. Get out of my courtroom. Because what's the, what's the world busy doing today? What's the Supreme Court busy doing? They're busy trying to get the Ten Commandments, which is the basis of all the laws that we have in the United States, the very basis itself. They're trying to get the Ten Commandments out of our government, out of our courtrooms, anything that has to do with God at all. They're trying to get rid of it. And so when you go to a secular court, you are setting aside God's authority as a Christian. And you're saying, I don't want to be judged by God's authority. Now, in fact, we find that our courts today are are making fun of biblical principles. You tell them you're going to be judged by biblical principles, they're going to think you're some kind of a nut. Now, as a Christian, I want to ask you, what is the book that we're supposed to live by? What's the law that we're supposed to live by? Well, the authority is all right here. This is God's word, and this is what we're judged by, and there is no authority that's higher than the Bible. You can't find anything higher. And so when you decide to go to a secular court against a Christian, you lose the authority of the Scripture. Now, here's the thing, though, that when the millennial reign of Christ comes, what do you think it is that we'll be using to judge the angels? What are we going to use to judge the world? What's the criterion? Again, it's right here. We're not going to judge the world by the Constitution of the United States. One of these days when Christians stand with with Jesus Christ and we judge with him, we're going to pull out the Word of God. And we're going to say, here's what God's Word says. 
God's word is our authority because God's word never changes. It's always the same. His law is always good. So why would we ever want to surrender the authority of God's word to be judged in a secular court? We don't need an imperfect authority. We use the perfect word of God. So there aren't any principles of justice and there is no wisdom higher than we find in the authority of God's word. So what we have right here, that's what we're going to use in eternity. So when you decide to do this, you lose your position of honor. As a saint, you step down when you go to a secular court. You lose the source of authority and you go under man's law and not under God's law. But then there's also a third thing that you lose. The third thing is you lose your testimony to the lost. In verse number six, Paul says, but brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. So right here is the main reason that you don't take a Christian brother to court. You lose your testimony before the world. Now, does everybody remember what the number one criterion is for judging whether a person is a child of God? When you go to a secular court, you may go there with your Bible under your hand or under your arm, and you may park your car in the parking lot of the Santa Rosa, whatever, municipal buildings and so forth to go into court. And you might have that silver fish on the back of your trunk. And you might have the honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on your car. But when you go into court, what is it that's going to judge whether you're a Christian? None of those things. The Bible says there's only one way that people know that you're a Christian. And Jesus said it. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. And so if you have two Christians that walk into court because they can't settle a dispute, you're telling the world, hey, I'm a phony. All this talk about Christianity and how Christ changed me and how it changes the relationships that I have with other people, it's all a bunch of baloney. That's what you're telling people. So your testimony is blown because the unbeliever is going to say to you, well, what about love? What about forgiveness that you're always talking about? What about those principles that you find in the Bible that you Christians so much love and live by? And what they say is you talk a good game, but you can't walk the walk. And so when you settle your disputes according to the, without using the word of God, then you have already lost. You go to court and you might get exactly what you want from that court, but you never win in any meaningful way against another Christian. Well, that leaves us then with the problem of how are we going to settle these things? I mean, we can't go to the secular court with them, so how are we going to settle it? Well, let me first say that if you think tonight's message is all about this thing, about secular courts and judges and all that, then you've missed the larger truth of what I want to tell you in this sermon. You need to pay attention to the next part because this is not just about secular courtrooms and about judges. Part number three is the response of a mistreated believer. How do you respond as a mistreated believer? Now, here's one of the things you've heard me say many times before, that as a Christian, your spirituality, your true Christianity, is not determined by the way you act. It's determined by the way that you react. Now, some people in churches today, and maybe even some of you, you've already been pre-programmed by a pastor, or you've been pre-programmed by a church that you're supposed to act in a certain way. 
And your spirituality is determined about whether you act in these certain ways. And so you're just like a piece of software. You've been pre-programmed that you're going to act in a certain way. But what happens when you get a glitch in the piece of software? And what happens when something happens or something takes place that you're not, totally not expecting? Well, this is where the reaction comes in. And how you react tells about your true spirituality. Now, I want you to look here at verse number 7 because you are not going to like what verse number 7 says. It says, Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? So what Paul says, it's better for you to be wronged. It's better for you to take your lump than it is to lose your testimony. And so how is it that you respond? Well, number one, as a Christian, when you have been mistreated, number one, you must be willing to surrender your rights. Now, I know, first thing here, that when you tell Americans, you must surrender your rights. If you want to see fire in the eyes and, and, and fire and, or blood in the eyes, you just tell a self-centered American, you must surrender your rights. People go along around all the time saying, I have rights. I know what my rights are. You can't tread on my rights. Don't walk on my rights. You can't do that to me. And what Paul is saying right here, go ahead and surrender your rights. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He came to earth and he surrendered his rights. He was co-equal with the Father in heaven. He was co-eternal with him. But Jesus didn't try to hold on to that. You remember that famous scripture in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul is writing and he says, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Do you understand what that really means? He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And what that actually means is Christ did not consider his position in heaven and his privileges in heaven as something that he was going to hold on to at all costs. That there was no circumstance, no possibility, nothing can arise that would cause Christ to surrender those rights of being equal with God. But in fact, the Bible teaches us that there was a circumstance in which Jesus was willing to surrender his rights. And the circumstance that arose was the fall of man, the sin of man. And so what Jesus did, he surrendered his rights for you and me. And so what happened to him? Well, he's the son of God. And yet he was debased, he was spit upon, he was beaten, downtrodden, subjected to poverty and humiliation. And finally, as we all know, they took Jesus to the cross. And so he didn't hold on to this position that he had at all costs. He was willing to surrender it. And if you think about it, there are some times when it is best for you to surrender your rights. If you're walking down Country Club Drive and a car jumps the curb and comes up on the sidewalk... Hey, you're the pedestrian. You have the rights. You can stand right there and say, I have my rights. This sidewalk belongs to me. But if you do, you'll probably be dead right. There are times when it's best to surrender your rights. Well, Charles Tanley uh, told a true story about uh, two people that were in his church. And these were two Christian businessmen who decided to become partners in a business. One was the financial partner. Uh, He was the one who had staked the business. He he put all the money in to get the business operating. And the other other, uh, uh, man was the managing business partner. 
And what he did was put in all the sweat equity to get the, get the business uh, up and running, and, and the other man put the money in. So they did this for two years. Well, one day, the, the managing partner uh, went to the business, and he was going to unlock the door in the morning to start the business, get things going, and he found out that his key wouldn't work. And so he called the financial partner to tell him about his problem, and the financial partner said, I know, I had the locks changed. I don't want you in this business any longer. Now, this man had been working in the business for, for two years, and now all of a sudden, he's without a job. He's out on the street. He doesn't know what he's going to do. So he decided that he was going to file a lawsuit against this other Christian man who was in his church, the financial partner, uh, because he felt that he was wrong. So he took his case to a Christian lawyer. Imagine, Christian lawyer. Put quotes around that. So he goes to a Christian lawyer, and he presents the case before him. And this Christian lawyer says, well, I think you can win the case. On the merits of what you've just told me, I think that you can win this. But he said, as a Christian, I don't think that you ought to go to court. He said, I think that you should just take this loss and go on. Well, the man took the lawyer's advice, and he didn't go to court. So he worked for another two years. He didn't make nearly as much money as he made in this business. He struggled financially. He had a hard time. But one day he received a telephone call, and there was a a man on the other end who asked him a question. He said, did you used to manage such and such a business? And he said, I did. And the man hung up the phone. Well, the next day, this man called back again, and he said, I heard what happened in this business. I heard that there was a dispute between you. And he said, so I've worked out a deal here. I've I bought the business, and I've worked out a deal to where you are going to receive one half of the proceeds of the sale of the business. In a week, this man got a check in the mail. And this is a true story. He got a check in the mail for $2 million. Now, this is the way that God can equal the score. God has a way of working things out. When you follow his plan and you do what God says, he works things out. Now, it may not work out in this life. Sometimes that it does. But Paul is telling us here, it is better for you to be wronged and to suffer that wrong than it is to interrupt the fellowship between Christian people. And you depend on God to work this out. And if you're a Christian, that you can't see anything beyond the end of your nose And all you see is what happens in this life and you don't understand the big picture of what eternity is all about. Trust me on this. As a Christian, you are doomed to defeat and disappointment. You have to see the big picture of what God is doing. And the Bible teaches us actually that eternal life begins right now. At the moment that you trust Christ, your eternal life begins. And so what that actually means, in your life, it will work out. God will make sure that it all works out. So you see what I'm talking about here is not just things that you take to court. You might have to suffer an injustice. Uh, We may not even be talking about uh, financial matters or those kinds of things and the way that people harm you. But there could be something that arises right here in the church where you think that you've been wronged. And and you you, you would swear by this. You are absolutely sure I am in the right I'm doing what's right. I believe I'm right. And yet you turn around and you say, I am going to suffer the wrong because it hurts the fellowship of the church for me to do otherwise. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in this scripture. Why are you worried about being defrauded? 
Why don't you just go ahead and surrender your rights for the good of the fellowship of the church? And I've seen so many Christians who are unwilling to do this. I know that I'm right. I'm going to stand my ground. And I don't care if it splits the church right down the middle. This is what I'm going to do. And you can't tell me otherwise. Paul says, suffer yourself to be defrauded. Surrender your rights. Sometimes it's necessary for you to do it. Now, the Bible does say, though, that there is a way for us to settle our disputes. So as a Christian, the next thing that you must do is you must seek personal reconciliation. You always seek to be reconciled to the person who's wronged you. Now, I could talk about court issues, but probably in this church, this is not going to happen, or it may not happen at all. We may never have a case where two members in church decide they're going to sue one another. So we'll talk about it in a different light. I do know this, that there will be disputes, and there have been disputes that have arisen between church members. And so the Bible gives us a way that we can reconcile with one another when we have a dispute. Now, actually, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching about uh, uh, church discipline. And we find the way to resolve a dispute in Matthew chapter 18. Do you take a person to court? That's not what Scripture says. When you have someone who's wronged you, the first thing that you do is you go to that person and you try to reconcile with them. You try to work the thing out in a mutually acceptable way. If the person refuses to be reconciled, the next thing that you do is you take one or two more people with you and you go to that person again and you use these one or two people as arbitrators of the case. And if the arbitration works out and everything's settled and both parties are happy, then you end it right there and you don't have to worry about going any further. But then, if you have two people who cannot be reconciled, that type of arbitration doesn't work, then the Bible says that you're to take this matter to your church. And whatever the church decides, that is binding upon a Christian. The church has the right and the church is the one that you should take these disputes to in order that they might be settled. Now, I want to mention here one more thing before we close the message tonight. A couple of years ago, almost three years ago, I think it is now, um, I went to the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches Western Convention. I'll try to get all of that out. Uh, and there was a man who was speaking there, and he was involved in Christian arbitration. He was a... A member of a very large church, and unlike this church, there were many more opportunities for Christians to be involved in certain kinds of disputes and things that they might take matters to a court of law. And so what the members of the church had decided to do is that they would submit themselves to Christian arbitration. So this man was involved in this, and so there were volunteers in the church. Uh, sometimes it would be attorneys, uh, who would who are members of the church, and they would volunteer to to hear a dispute, but not even just attorneys i mean they 're just regular people in the church, and uh, they took their time and they volunteered that they would help to settle disputes and so when a person went before uh, these arbiters in the in the in the church, they signed an agreement that whatever was said, whatever was decided in the arbitration that that was binding upon them, and so they signed this these papers and they let the church decide it. And they let the arbitration decide it. Well, that's, that's a good alternative for people. If you get involved in a dispute with another Christian, and that person is not a member of this church, then I think what you ought to do, you ought to go and seek Christian arbitration. And there are places that you can do that. If it involves someone who is a member of the church, and you have a dispute with them, 
then the right thing to do is to take the steps that we've outlined there in Matthew chapter 18. And finally, you take that matter to the church and you let the church decide it. Well, why would you do that? Well, Paul gives us all the answers right here. There is no secular court of law who can match the wisdom of Holy Spirit-guided Christian brothers and sisters. There is nobody who can match that kind of wisdom. And so that's why Paul says, this is the way you settle this. So this is what Paul is saying. As as Christians, you have God-given wisdom. And if you'll ask him, and if you're willing to surrender to the proper authorities, what will usually happen is that you can gain your brother. Now here's the last statement I want to make tonight. Above all else, Jesus must be glorified. Now thank the Lord that you are an American. Thank the Lord that you have all these rights. But sometimes it's better for you to surrender your rights in order that Jesus Christ might be glorified. Here's what Philippians says. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul faced a lot of problems in this Corinthian church. And though it seems so odd that we'd be talking about this tonight, he has laid down a very good principle for all of us as Christians to remember. And that is, be willing to submit to one another and do things that are good for the fellowship of the entire body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bring your word tonight. Though, Lord, we are talking about a very different subject and something that we don't preach on uh, often, there are good principles that we can learn here. Help us as your people to get along with one another. When we think that someone has wronged us, help us to take the right steps to work those things out. And, Lord, if ever the fellowship of the church is endangered by something that we want, may we be willing to give up our rights and give up what we think is right in order that we might work for the good of the entire body. Bless us in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.